Good morning. Our reading today is from Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 52. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the country, surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found they had... And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before them, before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land." And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kate. If you would have a seat this morning. It's uh, really wonderful to be here this morning, especially after having uh, the Word of God read uh, like this, to have the table prepared before us and to stand in a lineage of a millennia of Christians obeying Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, where he commands him, devote yourself to the public reading of the Word which is precisely what we do every Sunday morning. We want for the word to be read. That's the power of it. I imagine that if we could all of us put on spiritual spectacles, we would be able to see the power of God's word going out not only to fill this place, but to fill uh, the city and on into the state and on into the country and on into the entire world. I want for us to have this in mind as we turn our attention to something that has the power to resurrect dead people, that has the power to change lives. 
And at first, it seems when we come to passages like today that they're so familiar to us uh, that, uh, that they're easy to just kind of assume that we know all about it or to uh, find our way past them and un- uh, not understand them together. At first, it even seems like these two very well-known stories have little to do with one another, but we would do well to notice that they do by looking at verse 52, where Jesus says to the disciples who have seen him walking across the water for the second time, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. So what is it that these two passages have to do with one another? How do they relate with one another? And maybe even more specifically, how do they relate to us when we have heard the story of the walking on the water and the breaking of loaves and fish to the feeding of the 5,000? When we may have even heard a sermon on this many dozens of times, how do we engage with it? I plead with you this morning to be devoted to the Word, though familiar to receive it with softened hearts, unlike the disciples, to understand, unlike the disciples. So if I can, I would love to just pray for our time this morning. Bow with me. Father God, I ask that you would help us by coming to familiar places in Scripture to see Jesus, to see Jesus right here in the midst of these verses, to see and be filled with his very same compassion, to taste the loaves, to hear the comfort that is in his voice. Father, would you send the Spirit to be our helper this morning as we turn our attention to your words, no less powerful than if you were to boom out from the heavens this morning, that we would hear them. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. The primary point this morning uh, you can find actually in our handout, and that is uh, that we will find our shepherd satisfies the souls of the sapped, the struggling, and the scared. Our shepherd satisfies the souls of the sapped, the struggling, and the scared. But I I will confess to you right off the bat that if you've done deep dives here, if you've studied this, this is not precisely the primary point of the text. Uh, We really aim Sunday in and Sunday out to make the primary point of the text uh, very close, as near as we can to the primary, uh, the primary point of the sermon as close as we can to the primary point of the text. But I will say this, coming off of a season of sabbatical, I felt like I approached this passage and that I received uh, new eyes to see it with this morning, and most of that comes by way of having the context really knowing what is happening in this passage. So we can actually invite that this morning by turning our attention to verse 30, where it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They returned to Jesus and shared with him all that they had done and taught. And so that really uh, reminds us that we're just not dropping into a passage, but that earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sent the disciples out. Now, this has relevance to us because Jesus also in the Great Commission sends us out to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So we also have a mission, but they were sent out by Jesus with a specific purpose. But we notice that they come back to him and that Jesus notices something about them. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. In fact, that's the first uh, set of points this morning, if you want to fill those in. Jesus 
receives them back and tells them, come away by yourselves to a desolate, that just means an empty, a deserted place, and rest. Jesus invites rest. He invites them to rest in the desert, probably, a deserted place, an empty place. Why? Because for many were coming and going. Many had uh, seen this ministry that had started, and they were coming, and they were going, so much so that they had no leisure even to eat. So, Jesus actually gives them a reason to rest. He knows that He's seen the way that this season of ministry, this sentness and the returning has left them uh, sapped, has left them depleted, has left them weak, He sees that many are coming and going and demanding something of them. In fact, earlier in chapter 6, it says this, that Jesus gives the disciples authority and then sends them away with very little. And He sends them away with very little to do three primary things, to proclaim repentance, to cast out demons, and to heal. So they go around and they proclaim the teachings of Jesus They go around and they actually heal by anointing people with oil, and they also go around casting out demons. This must have been an incredible season of their life. You can almost imagine yourself as a fisherman uh, with uh, some rabbi coming along saying, come, follow me, I'll teach you to become fishers of men, and then all of a sudden you're casting out demons. You're anointing people with oil, and they're getting healed. What an astounding time in their lives. So Jesus sees all of this and sees, though, that they're coming back, and despite all of that, that they're depleted. So what I want for us to do, though, is to take particular attention to verse 8, if you would look at it with me. It says in chapter 6, verse 8, take nothing, no bread, no bag, no money. But then, on the other hand, we come back down to our passage for today, and it says many were coming and going. Verse 11 says, if any will not receive you and will not listen to you, shake the dust off on your feet. So there's a couple of things that I want to like take those two ideas, put them together, and get some of the context deeply with the disciples. And I think you might find that there are things that we can actually pull out of this as well. So first, notice that the disciples were caring for many I'm not making that word up. It's saying that many were coming and going. The disciples were caring for many, but they were not cared for. Jesus sends them out with no bag, no money, no bread. It actually specifically says bread. Now, that's going to be really important here in just a moment when Jesus starts breaking bread and multiplying it to feed thousands, right? So, He sends them out, and they return having no leisure and not being able to have anything to eat. They were hungry. In fact, for many of us, we go uh, maybe just one meal and we're very hungry. Maybe we're even angrily hungry. Well, these men had been sent out maybe even for a few weeks at this point and were not being cared for. They were caring for many, but they weren't being cared for. Second, I want for us to notice that the disciples accepted others. They received others. They taught them. They anointed them with oil, but they faced constant rejection. Jesus even prepares their hearts for it. He says, go and try to find a place, and if people will not receive you, shake off the dust from your sandals. Now, do you think that Jesus was just saying that for no reason? No, it's because he knew that they would be rejected, that they would face rejection along the way. So we've got to notice that. 
third, I want for us to notice that all of this is sandwiched in between the last few weeks of teaching where Jesus faced public rejection in Nazareth, and they began to receive word about John the Baptist's beheading. So this wasn't happening in a, a vacuum. These men weren't being sent out in a vacuum. They were starting to hear about how one of the uh, prophets, a man that they uh, you know, described even as Elijah, um, was beheaded. You imagine that there was almost this cultural or political environment that was chilling, maybe even chilling to the bone, maybe even caused from some frightenedness in the disciples. So all of these things kind of add up into a set of men, 12 men, these disciples that were sent out that were experiencing probably very different things things that went together in their hearts and maybe even conflicted a little bit. On one hand, there had to have been some sort of camp high, right? They went out. If you're seeing demons going out from people, if you're seeing people healed of ailments that they had been born with, you've got to imagine that's pretty exciting. And then on the other hand, we've got to imagine that they're also returning, and this is the next set in our notes. They are also exhausted. They are hungry. They've been used up, and they're rejected. So they have experienced this high of highs and also this exhaustion, this hunger, this using up, this rejection. And I wonder if anybody, maybe even starting to chart the path forward with me this morning, starts to know and understand something about how that feels. Have you been hungry? Have you felt used? Have you felt rejected? That's where we're finding these disciples here this morning. And what Jesus has for them are three different things. He's going to teach them that he satisfies the sap, that he satisfies the struggling, and he satisfies the scared. So the first one, satisfying the, uh, the sap. Now, I want to define that word. Sap uh, gives us this uh, illustration of a tree. It's someone or something that is being gradually weakened. A tree that loses its sap will be dried out. Eventually, it will die. That's the, that's the point of being sapped. But Jesus satisfies the sapped. Where am I getting this? Verse 32 says this, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So after they have been receiving and sending all this many people, Jesus says, I can see it on you. You're so weary. Let's get in a boat and let's go to a desolate place by ourselves, to which all of the introverts in the crowd said, amen, right? So they need a little bit of rest, a little bit of rejuvenation. Their hungry bellies need a little bit of food, and Jesus has that planned for them, or at least it seems. So the disciples heard Jesus say, come away by yourselves and rest a little while, and they had to have been glad in their hearts. What they have been asked to do by Jesus is right, and it is hard. What Jesus asks of us is right, and sometimes it is also hard. It can be easy for us to find a place where we ourselves are weakened gradually, we're sapped. So what good news is there in all of this? So they get on this boat and they go away to be by themselves. And verse 33 says, now many, there's that word again, saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot and got there ahead of them. Oh man, I wonder if you know what this is like. 
Who's got some sympathy for the disciples? Who knows this feeling? Who's living this feeling right now? Who saw opportunity in the Christmas season to find rest, and then your entire family got sick? I thought that this was going to be a time of rest. Jesus, I'm so weary, and now I'm caring for people that are throwing up in my face. I wonder if you've experienced that, if you've uh, maybe been working so hard that you skipped lunch and then you get home to put a meal that you thoughtfully planned together to find out that Central Market didn't put the ingredients in your bag and you can't make it. You were looking forward to the comfort of a meal and now you've got to rush out and get something just so that you can feed your family. I wonder if you have uh, maybe put a baby to sleep during the day, these precious little moments during the day where they're napping and somebody comes by and rings the doorbell. I wonder if you know the feeling that the disciples had. Yes, we will go away with you. We will be with our, by ourselves in a restful place with you, Jesus. And then they get there and find a crowd waiting for them. Verse 34 has something very important to teach us. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because he saw them and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the disciples have to be feeling very differently than Jesus did, but Jesus doesn't flinch. There's no frustration, there's no resentment, there's no disappointment in Jesus. There is just compassion. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. For those of us who feel like sheep without a shepherd, for those of us who know the ire of a person who is disappointed with us, when we get in their way for rest, Jesus is not like that. Jesus doesn't resent you when you're needy. Jesus doesn't come to the shore and see uh, you standing there on the shore and say, oh, not today, not you. He's glad that you are there. He's filled with compassion for you. Jesus does not express resentment or disappointment when you come back to him. What I want to do now is read verses 35 through 40 and then summarize them and make a a, a few quick points. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him, I'll bet they did, and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Remember, these are the men that had just spent weeks probably ministering to very needy people. And he's saying, no, 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 this is is your time. They're thinking, no, this is the time for rest. He's like, you give them something to eat. Pay pay attention to this. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. I love that detail, on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were what? Look at it there. They were satisfied. They were satisfied. 
Jesus is satisfying the people. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Now, now, most of the sermons that you've heard on this passage, and even rightly, are going to make uh, certain distinctions about how many people were there really. But we've got to admit that taking a few loaves and multiplying it to just a few dozen people is pretty amazing, pretty miraculous, and satisfying two people in any room with any kind of meal is almost impossible. And here Jesus is satisfying the hunger of many thousands of people. So the disciples, though, when we look back at them, we see it's getting late. Send them away. Shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and feed them all? You can almost hear it searing with sarcasm, that they're a little resentful of this crowd. They thought that they were going to get the rest they thought they deserved. And Jesus teaches us two things. Jesus first is displaying his divine power by the miracle of feeding thousands, okay? But it doesn't stop there. It's a bit of a metaphor. What Jesus is trying to teach these people is not just that he is divinity, that he has all power, that he is sovereign, that he is able to uh, produce miracles before their very eyes. What he's also trying to do is teach them that he is the bread, He is the divine bread. He is not just the one that divides by his divine power the bread to feed people's stomachs. He is also the divine bread by which to satisfy souls. And so the cross is where we see this most distinctly. The gospel is that at the cross, Jesus' body was broken and distributed to the spiritually starving, not by the thousands, but by the billions. That's the gospel. That's what he's primarily trying to teach these people in the here and now in this text. But if we go one level deeper and just set our eyes not only on Jesus, but if we look back at the disciples in the midst of their disappointment, what we see is is that Jesus is also trying to teach them something. Jesus is also displaying his careful provision to his disciples in the midst of a demanding season. He gives the disciples of his grace. Where do we see that? Because after all of this hard work is done, have you ever fed 5,000 people? Me neither. Have you ever fed thousands more? Me neither. Never done it. Got to imagine after weeks of not eating, pretty difficult task. And yet, here Jesus is providing at the end of all of it, no more and no less than 12 basketfuls of bread pieces and fish pieces. Why? to satisfy the hunger. Okay, so Jesus calls them into hard work. He he calls them into things that are sapping their energy. He's calling them into a place of weariness, but what he does at the end of all of it is provide bountifully, bountiful baskets satisfying their immediate hunger, but in order to teach them something much more spiritually rich than that, and to teach us too. Jesus' disciples are called to hard work. It's in your uh, handout this morning. Jesus calls us to hard work. He calls us to hard work of disciple making, but then he also gives his disciples of his bountiful baskets of grace. Jesus is trying to teach us something here this morning. Jesus supplies, he satiates, He satisfies, 
every longing of the spiritually sapped. Do you feel sapped? Jesus is here to satisfy you. In the exact right way that you expect, is he going to send you on the boat to a desolate place so that you might get the rest that you want? That's not the passage that we're studying here this morning. It may be his desire, but then he also has something to teach you. But in the end, we find that Jesus satisfies the spiritually sapped at a soul level. But what about those who are not sapped? You feel bright and green. You feel like the leaves are coming out, but you don't feel like you're going anywhere. It's, it's one of those seasons where you feel like, man, I could run a marathon. I've never felt that in my life. But you feel like you could run a miracle, but you just feel like you're standing still, and so you're in a season of just struggle. What about that? Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him. So this big crowd is gathered up, and he again puts them on a boat and sends them somewhere. Jesus, likely perceiving the hardness of their hearts, has more to teach them and needs them away from crowds this time in order to teach them something. And so pay attention to what's happening here. He tells some of these men who were ex-fishermen to get into a a boat, they're familiar with this, and to sail to a a place called Bethsaida. Bethsaida meaning the fish house. This was a place that they would have been very comfortable with. And more importantly, this would have been just across the opening of the mouth of the Jordan River. Okay, it would have been just on the other side there. So guess who's not coming this time? The crowds of people. They're not coming this time. They can't make it across that. They followed them up one side of the shore. Now Jesus is sending them across to this other place of comfort. Get in the boat. You know boats. Sail on. Go over there to the fish place, the place that you probably know very well. Get out. There's not going to be crowds there. This crowd will not be there. They are full now in their stomachs, and this is right in their wheelhouse. And the crowds can't follow them. This is a comfort zone. After dismissing then the crowds, Jesus seeks solitude to pray, and then afterwards he comes back down at the break of evening, and he stood alone on the evening shore. I love these details. You can picture Jesus lovingly, carefully dismissing this big crowd of people, and then going up on a mountain and praying, and as he comes down, the the sun is setting there behind him, is what it would have been, and then he finds himself standing on the shore alone. And he looks out, and what does he see? Verse 48, Jesus looks and he sees, and they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, this is way late. This isn't staying up late. It's not getting up early. It is dead in the middle of the night. The fourth watch there, he came to them walking on the sea. These seasoned sailors were struggling on slowly. All they want to do is get to their comfort zone, and they're going so slowly that Jesus catches up to them on foot. He just walks out there. I love that it says that they're making headway painfully because so often we know exactly what that feels like. 
We're just struggling along. It doesn't matter if we're experts. We can't change the fact that the wind is breaking against us and we're just barely getting on. We haven't made it far enough in the hours that we've been on the sea for Jesus not to be able to look out in the evening light and then see them there. And then he decides, I know what I'll do. I'll do what I've done before, what we studied earlier on in Mark. This was not something that was brand new to the disciples. Jesus just walks out on that water. And I'm not talking about like those times where like a magician like puts some sort of clear plastic thing in the water and it's like, oh man, they're walking on water. He's walking on the sea. This is just as magnificent and amazing and uh, miraculous as if he did it today. If you went to the ocean and you saw someone walking across it, that is what this is like. It's not felt board Jesus. It's him being in command of all things and him deciding, I think I'll have a stroll. Amazing. So he dismisses the crowd, then he goes and he walks. Sometimes Jesus sets us out to sea. Not in a storm like in chapter 4. That's not what we get here. We just see that the wind is working against them. He can still see them. Okay, he can see them from the shore, so it's not like, uh, you know, raining, it's not like, you know, don't picture lightning, don't picture any of that stuff, don't picture a storm, just picture this wind against him, the wind against the disciples, and he walks out there on the sea, and Jesus sets out, not in the midst of a storm, but in the midst of a slow struggle along. Have you, have you found yourself in one of those seasons recently where you're just struggling along? You're trying to make it work. You're trying to get there, but you just, you can't seem to make headway. You're making it very painfully. Jesus there is walking out in the midst of them. And then this is curious. This is very strange. This is very unusual. We get this note too. He meant to pass them by. What are we to make of that? But... We know that he walked close because they were able to see him because he was going to the same place. They were struggling, not perishing like they were in chapter 4, but they're all up because they can't seem to make any headway. So they're in the middle of the night, but what are they doing? Are they sleeping? No, all of them. It actually literally says all of them saw him and were terrified. And so they were all up. They were surveying. They were trying to figure out how they were going to make things work. They were all probably working to try to get this boat moving in some way, shape, or form. And they see Jesus in the midst of their struggles. Here's what I want for us to pull out of this. When they see him, Jesus is teaching them something. Jesus could have walked way around. He could have uh, not revealed himself to them. He could have done this or planned all of this for the middle of the day where they were sure to see him. But Jesus, we find, always sends us in the right direction. None of this was outside of his plan. In fact, you can fill that in this morning. They, they're going the right direction. Jesus sends us out, no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we feel like we've got it wrong, he sends us out in the right direction. Did Jesus make a mistake saying, okay, you guys pack up in the boat, go over to Bethsaida, I'll meet you there. Did he make a mistake? No, he did not make a mistake. Jesus always sends us in the right direction and always sees us in the midst of our struggle. You can fill that in. Jesus sends us in the right direction and he sees us 
from the shore, walks out to us, he sees us in the midst of our struggle. Jesus is always going in our direction. If you're one of Jesus' disciples and he sent you in a direction that he intends to go, he is always going our direction and he always intends to meet us on the other side of our struggle. So, so we get this curious little point that Jesus actually uh, meant to uh, pass them by. It wasn't his original intent. Very curious to me. I don't know why, but they're all going to the same place. He's passing them by because they're going to the same place. He intends to meet them on the other side. But these men were up. They were struggling. They were paying attention, and they see him. What we learn from this is, is that Jesus is nearby in the midst of our struggles, and if we might look for him, we might see him, and he might come near. So Jesus always sends us the right direction. He always sees us in the midst of our struggle. He always is going in the same direction. He's always intending to meet us on the other side of our struggle. He is always nearby, and if we are looking for him, we might see him, and he might come nearer. What we see here is that Jesus, the compassionate shepherd of his sheep, sovereignly satisfies the struggling. And I wonder, do you understand? Do you have a hardened heart towards this? Are you trying to get what it is that Jesus is teaching these disciples? So we've seen that he satisfies the souls of the sap. We see that he satisfies the souls of the struggling. Next, I want to very briefly talk about how he satisfies the souls of the scared. He's satisfying the scared. Verse 50, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for all saw him and were terrified. So they're struggling, but now they've got a new problem because they're very frightened. The disciples are all fed up but they're still tired, they're still struggling, and now they're at sea. I want you to imagine this. Have you ever been at sea in something small? I know that only a couple of you have, but, but it's a very isolating place. If something happens to that boat, what happens to you? You're in the water. It's a very vulnerable place. Here on land, we have a lot more options, right? We get to go a lot of other directions. If something happens, we go this direction. We're not dependent on the car that brought us here. We can Uber. If that boat goes down, they're in trouble. It's a very vulnerable place for these disciples to be. And I think that Jesus meant it to be that way. I want you to picture these 12 men in a small boat struggling to make headway. So when they see something that they don't understand, even though they've seen this exact same thing before, even though they sent, uh, saw Jesus walking on the water in the midst of an even more terrifying situation, they didn't understand that it was him, and they were terrified. They were scared, and they cried out in fear. Now, now, here's something that I take comfort in, and I want you to go with me here. It's maybe a little bit, it's not, it's not an exactly direct line but it's something that I received a lot of comfort for, their response isn't, oh, it's just Jesus again. They've fallen back into this human rut even though they've seen the same picture before. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's not just that uh, a human being can get scared one time, have that satisfied, and then never be scared again. It's that these disciples set out on a boat one time in Mark chapter 4. They thought they were perishing. Jesus shows up. He saves them. And then they're right back on a boat. 
only two chapters later. I don't know how long it was, but it was only two chapters, so it couldn't have been that long. And Jesus is there. He meets them on the sea in the midst of less terrifying situations, and they're still what? They're still scared. I wonder if you find yourself in cycles where it's just like you're terrified, you're fearful, and Jesus shows up. And then evidently you forget about it. It may have been two days, and you forget about it, and you're scared again, and Jesus shows up, and you're still in the midst of this fear. For, for me, I'm not saying that it was right that they were fearful. What I'm saying is, is that it is human that they were. Their fear isn't right, but it's not unusual as a human being to be right back in the same place with the same reactions. If you do that, you're normal. I'm not saying it's right, but it's normal. So I want to ask you a question. Where do you feel most vulnerable? What's your boat? For some of us, it's our body, it's sickness. We're very fearful of this. We, we feel like our bodies are in the midst of an ocean, and when the body gives way to sickness or when it uh, you know, starts to sink, it, it's very isolating. It's, very, it's a very vulnerable place to be. You don't have another body to go into. Some of us know this heartbreakingly acutely. So maybe body and sickness is your boat of vulnerability Maybe for others of us, we fear a coming recession. We're in the midst of the boat of our career. And it's like, how, if I lose this job, am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to uh, pay the mortgage? How am I going to make this work? And you feel alone. You feel isolated. You feel vulnerable because you feel like if you lose that boat of your career, if it sinks, what's going to happen? So for some of us, it's our careers. For others of us, it's our children. We think that uh, we're very fearful about uh, what's going to happen with our kids. Are they going to uh, take up our faith? Are they going to li live it out? Are they going to live with Jesus? Are they going to be a part of the kingdom? If I, if I say just this one wrong word, are my kids going to walk away forever? If I make the wrong educational decision, are my kids going to uh, you know, end up despot? Like if I, if I can't provide for this need, are my kids going to hate me? Am I going to lose out on a friendship? What is the boat? It's our kids sometimes. It's very vulnerable. We can't imagine uh, being in our 60s or 70s and having uh, kids make decisions that we disapprove of or uh, move into a season of life where they're really struggling or walk away from the faith altogether and we feel isolated in the midst of that. All of our hopes and dreams are on this boat with us and if it sinks, oh no. I don't know what your boat is, but I know that you've got one. I don't know where your place of most vulnerability is, but I know that you have many. And here in verse 50, Jesus says to the terrified disciples, says that he immediately spoke. He didn't wait. He didn't hasten. He saw that they were terrified, and he immediately spoke, and he said this, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid, and he gets in the boat. I wonder this morning if you're feeling that vulnerability, if you're fearful that your boat might sink and what you need more than anything is just to hear Jesus' words ring out, fear not, it's I. Don't be afraid I'm getting in the boat. Does he do that all the time? Does he get in our boat every single time? No. Does he pass us by sometimes and wait for us on the other side of our fears? He does sometimes. That's a hard word. 
But sometimes in the midst of our fear, he says, fear not, it's me. God, what a magnificence in me. He satisfies the scared. Jesus tells his disciples that he is the source of all courage. Don't trust in the boat. You're right to be a little fearful of the boat. If it sinks, you're in a bad way. But Jesus says, I'm the source of all courage. My boat, one of my many, is uh, fear of man. At the beginning of my sabbatical, I was working with a biblical counselor that was kind of coaching me through some of this stuff, and um, we worked through some biblical counseling things, like, what is it that makes you angry? What is it that makes... And my one for fear was fear of man. I've got a boat. It's my reputation. I've got a boat. It's what you, you know, think about me. It's uh, saying the wrong word at the wrong time and uh, losing friendships and seeing people go by the way. I've got fears. I've got a boat. And, and what I had to do was get to the bedrock of just going like, what, what can make me unfearful no matter what boat I'm in? It's got to be Jesus. He's the only one that satisfies. I have a fear of man, so I lie. Instead, what I need to do, what I ought to do is trust in the finished and perfect work of Jesus in his identity and let that be the satisfaction of my soul. What's your boat? I don't know what your boat is, but I know the one who satisfies. So I wonder this morning, in wrapping up, do you understand? Is your heart hardened? If you don't understand, here's the good news. Jesus is pursuing you. He wants to teach you some of this. He wants your heart to be softened. He's pursuing these disciples. He's pursuing you. Jesus satisfies the souls of the sapped, of the struggling, of the scared, but not by removing us from trial. He does so in the midst of it. He satisfies the soul in the midst of the sapping of the growing weary. He satisfies the soul in the midst of the struggle. He satisfies the soul in the midst of our greatest fears. Jesus often sends us out to do the hard work of ministry, and just when we think that we have rest, there's more work to do, and Jesus satisfies us in the midst of that moment. Jesus often makes us get in the boat against the wind where we make painful headway. And he meets us in the midst of that moment too. Jesus often exposes our vulnerability through the things we perpetually fear. And what he demonstrates to us is that he and he alone is the satisfier of souls. Our shepherd is filled with compassion for his sheep. He loves us so much. And he even loves us so much that he's not always looking to take us out of our struggles and fears and all of these things. Sometimes he leaves us right in the midst of those moments so that he can teach us something new about who he is and how he satisfies you. Jesus is the bountiful basket of bread. He is the sight for sore eyes. He is the relieving response to our greatest fears. Let us pray. God and Father, we thank you for our Savior. He truly is the satisfier of souls. Lord, when we um, 
hear the word satisfaction these days, we uh, cheapen it. We reduce it to YouTube videos of things that have some sort of tactile satisfaction, but that's just not who Jesus is. He is so much deeper. He satisfies us so much more deeply. Father, I pray that for us here at City Church, that uh, those who are weary would feel um, the presence of Jesus. For those who are struggling along, that they would feel the presence of Jesus. For those who are scared, who have fears that rule their mind and their heart, Lord, that they would be satisfied by Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help City Church to be a place where we seek ultimate and total soul satisfaction in our Savior, in the here and now, and the forevermore. Father, I pray that you would help us that you would enliven our worship this morning, that as we take communion, we would see the broken bread, that we would be satisfied, that as we sing songs to you, that we would cry out, Lord, knowing that Jesus uh, hears our cries and he's willing to get in our boat. Father, I pray that you would help us to worship joyfully this morning. Father, I pray all of these things. I pray your blessing on communion in the name of Jesus. Amen.